0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an utterly splendiferous episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. I'm Adam. And I'm also Adam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. And today we're A secret for your podcast. My my name, AJ, actually stands for Adam James. There you go. Is that, really? That's correct.
2: That is the first piece of lore that we're going to learn tonight because we're actually here with the lore master himself. Um, the real life Elminster, the, uh, actual sage with knowledge ranks in all of the knowledge skills, um, the living tome of knowledge himself, uh, A.J. Pickett, the mighty glue stick. Thanks and welcome. Yeah. Oh, it's a
0: pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. And, uh, it's I've just winged my way by Griffin and from candle keep. It's nice to have someone on here with a, uh, with a charming voice. It's good. Oh. It's good. It's very good. Get a bit of culture. What time is it here. for you? What, what time is uh, it for is, you right now? Yeah.
1: It is a bright and sunny, very hot five o'clock in the evening. It's summer. It's high summer over here in New Zealand. So we're wow. hitting temperatures of, um, well, we use Celsius over here, but uh, hot. hot. <laughs> Jeez. Ah, we're familiar with hot. <laughs> and it stays hot uh, well past 10 o'clock in the evening and sometimes until uh, like two o'clock in the morning. It'll still be pretty steamy.
0: Man. Okay. So if you're over in New Zealand, I am compelled to ask, have you been over to like all the Lord of the Rings sets and stuff? (laughs) No. Oh man. Um, I've,
1: I've, I used to, I've lived like literally stones throw away from Hobbiton, um, in Hamilton city. That's just sort of, um, in between where I am now and where I used to live. Mm. Uh, so I drive past, Hobbiton all the time. Oh, neat. Um, but uh, it's, it's a, it's a tourist mecca and things. And oh, I know what's sure. there. And I do intend to go there and like film a video in the, uh, in the green dragon. in at some point, that's something um, I'd love to do. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's, there's a thousand and one locations around New Zealand that I'd love to take and show people, like, mm. you know, ancient Kauri forests and um, fern tree forest groves and things like that. Bar- sparkling brooks and things that just are oh, by the wayside. So the, perfectly clear blue springs where you're floating on top of it and feel like you're flying, that sort of thing. Oh, man. It's ridiculous. We have an overabundance of beauty here that's just sickening. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it ruins us for tour- sightseeing in other countries. Uh, I imagine. My sister-in-law
0: really, really, really wants to go to New Zealand, and I gotta say, I'm you know, i a sucker for that kind of stuff, too, and I know my my wife would love to go, so if we get out that way, we're gonna... Uh, harangue you into being our tour guide, man. Absolutely.
1: Well, you know us YouTubers. We're we're notoriously hard to nail down. Um, we're very <laughs> reclusive creatures that oh, are sure. in darkness. Yeah. I think, think that was a nice way of saying I'm not interested in being a tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> My friends have a hard enough time getting me out of the house. No, no, I'd, be, I'd love to see you. We would love to have you once all this kerfuffle dies down oh, and we're nah, uh, welcoming, welcoming people to our shores once more. But you know, at the moment we're in a very enviable position where we can walk around like it's just normal. Oh my god, oh, that's goodness. wonderful. Yeah, there's still like there's something to get used to about New Zealanders. We walk around barefoot in public. Like really? if you're going to a service station to uh to fill up your gas in your car, you'll be surprised to see people walking around just like with no shoes on. It's really? a norm. Yep. Yep, that's one thing that Americans quite often don't get used to, the fact that we that we don't wear shoes very much. Wow. So we literally are like hobbits it's quite quite funny how how does that work with <laughs> like great. like
0: you know just if there's like just happens to be broken glass on the road or you know something like that how do you you know how do they make sure things are actually clean enough well, all the time where what that's you safe? do is you watch where
1: you're walking uh that's what we do uh, oh, mostly man, though we, we don't have so any poisonous clever. spiders or snakes or uh, you know any any dangerous sort of critters in this country, so you can mm. literally walk around everywhere, and all you got to worry about is sticks. The occasional wasp. Don't mm. stand on bees, uh, and Good and look advice. out for broken glass. Good advice. Good
0: advice. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you stand on one bee, you uh, you don't do it again.
1: Okay, but oh, you just go on, You just run off and get some uh, <laughs> I think <it's>, um, vinegar. <laughs> there you Put go. Put some vinegar on your bee sting. Yeah, just and- <laughs> spray some Windex look, on there. You'll be fine. Listen, that all
2: sounds great and all, but. What I really want to know is what's the worst thing about New Zealand, right? What's the most annoying, just terrible thing? What do you hate? Uh,
1: Postage. Postage costs, like oh. buying D&D books over in New Zealand is exorbitantly expensive. What you Seriously. would pay $30 for at most, would pay $120 for. Whoa. Um, and oh, my goodness. Takes, and it takes four months to get here, you know. So it's getting better. Um, I just wish that China produced uh, role-playing books because we'd get them dirt cheap, thanks to our fantastic free trade agreement with that country. Mm. But they don't. I am trying to get them interested in it, though. I've got some, um, some stuff on the horizon, and I'm working daily with... Uh, um, a very nice lady named Maymay over there who's helping me out with factories and things for a Kickstarter, Ooh. which is coming up. You guys at Nord Games have got Kickstarters coming up too. We we do. We've got one going
0: on right now for uh, Dangerous Destinations, and it's uh, we've got. Uh, I think it's nine days left today. I think Thursday of next week at like noon uh, California time is our uh, is when it ends and it's going to be the follow-up to
1: spectacular settlements nice yeah yeah very good products those okay. i'm um, glad thank you I'm, yeah well i don't say these things that lightly i see quite a few things that come through the works and um yeah i don't i don't recommend things that i don't use myself personally uh, so there you go
2: well i'm well if you if they cost that much i mean how much
3: uh, <laughs>
1: Are, uh, well, is everything like hundred and twenty dollars when you get it? Because you're at like- the moment, at the moment with uh, the the current situation of the world, shipping is very unreliable. Like mm-hmm. I ordered stuff six months ago from Drive Through RPG, and it hasn't come yet. I know I haven't oh. even raised a complaint yet because if I do, it'll probably show up the next day, and they would have sent me a, re- a replacement. And I just don't want to do that to the company, right? Um, but that's what <laughs> it's like. You know, there's container ships backed up waiting to waiting to get from here to there because there's just nobody working at ports and things right so we've run into that too it's it's
0: definitely definitely crazy like nothing is predictable right now um has has that led you to kind of sticking to pdfs when they're available and that sort of thing uh
1: yep i i do use a lot of pdfs and stuff i like to have files in pdf form anyway mm-hmm. I, i'm personally uh, a believer of if there's a good pdf product i will look for a print version of that so that i can add it to my collection because sure. i love a groaning bookshelf oh, as every yeah. good DM should <laughs> Of oh, <laughs> yeah um, amen pdfs are great for a working situation where i can put stuff on my laptop go outside and do my work in the sunshine sort of thing sure but um Yeah, I like to have a physical book. I like the smell of books. I like the weight of books. I like carrying around books. It's just my thing. Well said, Adam.
2: Remembers Mm -hmm. carrying around books. Oh yeah. Oh, I actually had to last week again. I had a backpack full of full of books, and I was like, man, this is like back in the old college days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which was pretty cool, you know. Um, Do you
1: remember the smell of books? Was it Pepperidge <laughs> Farms? Remember <laughs> <laughs> Pepperidge Farms? remembers.
2: Oh my yeah, one god! One thing I really remember: I used to collect Magic: The Gathering cards, and I remember popping open a pack of one of those, oh. and and that, and it was a. It's a similar smell, right? Yeah, uh, that, that would always hit you, and yep. it, the yep. excitement of opening up the package and seeing what
1: you got. Uh, Come one, on one Christmas oil. Yeah, what but, is the best, most expensive Magic: The Gathering card you ever got?
2: Oh, that is a that's a good question. I don't, you know, I'm not as familiar with the pricings, but one mm. Christmas I got my parents bought me a box of Stronghold, um, Ooh, and that well, was that's going back. Yeah, that is going back. Uh, the you know, this is when I was like in high school. It was one Christmas, they got me a box of Stronghold, and I got myself a couple of Sliver Queens, mm, and I nice. and I. Have been, I mean, the sliver queen is so interesting because, you know, slivers by themselves are so interesting. And, you know, this character is one of every color, which I just thought was so fascinating, like just the difficulty of even bringing her out. Yeah. And then learning that there was like an infinite everything combo with her uh, that that was involved was just br- breaks the universe, <laughs> just breaks everything. <laughs> You know, of course, my yeah. teenage self was immediately drunk with power mm-hmm. and would do everything I could to to draw those those three special cards to to get that combo to happen.
1: I actually and, did a video on slivers. Did um, you? Yeah. A lot of people think I'm just like D&D, but I, I occasionally will D&D convert something um, particularly good. Ooh. I think that was even before Magic the Gathering was being folded into the role playing right, scene. Because now they basically are the same world. Almost. Yeah. I'm I'm very much um, urging Wizards of the Coast to to come out with some sort of Dominaria world setting. Um, mm, yeah. It just makes sense to me instead of doing it piecemeal and giving us different planes that are kind of like they're there but they're not there sort of. thing. Right. <laughs> like Ravnica is great, but we need a Ravnica world, not just a, a chunk of a city, right. chunk, chunk of a part of a world city. We need we need the whole kit and caboodle. We need what it's connected to we need the hub we need the sigil of magic of the gathering and that's dominaria
2: well in fifth edition they haven't even released all of the forgotten realms i, I saw a meme not long ago with <laughs> it's all grayed out and it says the forgotten realms and then there's one the
1: lit remembered up art, sword coast yeah it the is remembered the, realms the remembered <laughs> realms <laughs> so true uh, we've got a Facebook we've got a bunch of Facebook groups that uh, myself and this guy Anthony run called the Sages groups and they're all sages of a specific thing and they're they're all dedicated to the law and people who want to learn about that specific setting not talking about general role playing stuff you know problems with your table etc we delete those posts we just want people to Come there and learn about, this is the, the Sages of the Forgotten Realms. Any Forgotten Realms questions you've got, go for it. Um, so we talk about the realms and just the realms. In that, I've got a thread at the top of the page, which is all of the third-party resources that have been developed for fifth edition for the different areas of the realm. So like the Great Dales book and... Mm. Um, the uh, the border kingdoms, for instance, great read by the way. At least that's an excellent book to read. How um, how does those uh, how do how does that work in
0: terms of like the the license side of things? Like, I thought Watzy held the rights to Forgotten Realms in its entirety.
1: Well, um, people do this stuff, and then they they put it through the um, drive through RPG or the DM's Guild. Oh, they Um, do it through DMs Guild. Yeah, I guess that gets the tick of approval. So you have to be approved to list your stuff there. And Mm. um, it doesn't go into print unless it's in a a separate category, which is much, much restricted. So if you get an actual print book through um, the DMs Guild, then you've done very well. Yeah,
0: because yeah.
1: with the but those books are of a certain standard. Like the great Great Dale's book, for instance, is really good. I've got a review of that on my channel as nice. well. That's that's one I I hardly recommend. That's, well, that's a, 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 very a, cool uh, uh, episode.
2: Oh, sorry. Uh the the last episode of yours that I saw was about Theros. Um, because I am thinking about running that at some point. Uh, I picked
1: mm-hmm. up the book and I was immediately fascinated. Um, yeah, that was just an overview sort of start off overview thing. I was kind of hoping to get more into the individual races like the Leon and, and things like that. And people are quite interested in it and particularly the type of the relationship that the gods and things and magical items have with the, the world and people of Theros is much different from regular D and D and And that sort of fascinates me, that whole mythological aspect to it. Mm. Yeah, it is I really like cool because
2: stuff. especially since we spend so much time in specifically the Northern part of the forgotten realms, like mm. okay, we we kind of get that Norse flavor a lot, but we don't get like that Greek mm-hmm. fantasy quite as much.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is Greek sort of bits of the Forgotten Realms. Right. They're, they're not exactly the same. Sure. Um Like you don't find like cities of satyrs and things like that. How many books do you think you own about oh, this stuff? I couldn't even tell you. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> just And just hardbacks like or just printed books, let's say.
1: So Um,
0: the real question is, uh, that might be easier to answer, is how many exposed walls are left in your house? (laughs)
1: Let's see. If that section there is 23 books, then, okay, I've got about 150 behind me. (laughs) Wow. It's the stuff stuff off camera you don't see, like the stack of uh, Judge Dredd books, uh, comic books, that I've got on my top shelf, or the paper bag full of uh, paper terrain but I haven't even done anything with. I just went through a kick of making paper terrain for some reason for a spare
0: keyboard. I don't know. Fun. <laughs> hmm. Fun. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Oh,
1: sorry. That was like away from my microphone.
2: Uh, uh, both Andrew yeah. and I are, are well familiar with hobbies that we mean to do a lot with and then don't. You <laughs> yeah. got that right. Oh, <laughs> so like, my Welcome God. to the world
1: of 3d printing. Do you have storage space?
2: Not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I keep thinking such and such
1: would be a great idea. And they'll look around my house, never mind. No, nope. <laughs> no, nope. Yeah. Nope. My nope. recommendation for people who are thinking about getting into 3D printing is... Don't. Have a <laughs> have a set goal in mind of what you want to accomplish and, and set about that goal. Um, And, and once it's done, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
2: Just like sell it, pass it on to the next unsuspecting fool (laughs) yeah hand it
1: down to a nephew or something like that um i would also say that the uh the spool plastic filament printing is okay for terrain and things like that but if you want Mm -hmm. to do detailed miniatures and things the actual resins and stuff are are better because they're also permanent whereas the uh the filament stuff isn't permanent Mm. it eventually absorbs moisture and breaks down which is great for the environment but not that great for something that you want to keep around for 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So
2: AJ, you, you've got like your YouTube channel where you talk about lore and mm-hmm. like, I I've, I've binged a lot of your videos at this point. I've watched a ton of them. I think one of the last ones I watched was about the you Laws, claws and, oh, yeah. and, uh, and that was super fascinating, but you also play with some of the miniature aspects. I assume you paint some minis at, or at least have at some point. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. You, you're a dungeon master, right?
1: Yep, that's right. Um, so I've always had a, a fascination with two things. One is playing around with plasticine and modelling clays and all sorts of different polymers mm. and Dungeons and & Dragons. I've always loved Dungeons & Dragons since I was about 11 years old. Wonderful. Um, and my grandmother took me out to – I was we were going through a Woolworths, which is a uh, chain store, and there was a box set, red box set, dandy basic on the shelf, love at first sight, begged my grandmother to buy it for me. She's like, oh, it's $11 that's a bit expensive <laughs> it's like thanks thanks, grand that changed my life it literally did and uh, yeah so most of the time it wasn't homework that I was doing on the floor at home it was it was making up races and uh, yeah. new and drawing maps and all that sort of stuff you know making new character classes yeah so it's just been always a constant in my life all my best friends I've met through role playing games um, there and, you go yeah well, wow. yeah, I met and my sculpture. wife through,
2: uh, through role-playing games, but yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think a lot of us share a lot of that stuff. Like, you know, we, we tend to be friends with people that have the similar, have similar interests and man, D and D and role-playing games and and fantasy. It's, it's so
1: endless mm-hmm. when you say, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Also it's that, uh, if you sit down and you start to have conversation with somebody and you find out that they're into D and D that's, that's it. That's your conversation sorted. Oh, yeah. For the next three hours, <laughs> you guys are just hammering hammering at all these different concepts, your memories, your favorite anecdotes. Yes. Um, three hours. What happened, plans. Why three are you, why are you rushing it? <laughs> Well, you know, it might get weird if, if you're not talking to anybody else for three hours at a party. No. Just, <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> But you've got to get very drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. So, uh, the last party that I was at was my uh, sister's 50th birthday. And I talked to this guy, Taylor, from Brazil. And he talked to me about the Brazilian role playing scene. Um, that's one of the benefits of living in New Zealand, with this cross cultural um, nexus cool. of different people around the world. And they're into mag, uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Mm. Um, that's their main role-playing game over there, not D&D. It's mm-hmm. uh, Vampire the Masquerade. And I said to him that it actually heavily influenced Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. Uh, because, you know, all the factions of Planescape? Mm. How you've got the Dustmen and the Governors and the Zaur sects and all those different dudes who are interested in different theories about what life is all about. That came from the popularity and also the, the, the jargon and language that they speak in Planescape, the cant. That came from the popularity of CB radio and the Breaker Breaker ten four hmm. that was around in the, in the culture at the time and also the factions from Vampire the Masquerade and That's cool. wow. Werewolf the Apocalypse and stuff like that. So D&D actually emulated something that was popular from another role-playing game rather than, rather than around the, the other way. How about which that? is wonderful
2: right like we'd like to see all of those things you know sharing ideas and, and gaining absolutely inspiration yeah, from each other
1: nation cross
2: pollination right
1: yeah there you go growth growth of it as a technology as a gaming technology is something i find fascinating um, so, and the little experiments that we always have like uh, dice pool systems yeah. does that work or not um narrative rather than uh crunchy mm-hmm. how does that work you know so we've got amber dice list we've got Simple dice systems like GURPS. Um, We've got the more complex, um, nitty gritty stuff like Palladium with their very nuanced um, by the second combat styles. Mm. Um, hard sci-fi like Traveller has always been a part of my role-playing scene as well. Um, and the dark, dismal, uh, but very gnarly, high octane Warhammer 40k. Mm. Uh, I love that sort of stuff.
0: That man, so much cool stuff out there. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, I, I remember, uh, going to, to gamma, um, God, a couple of years ago now. Um, and I was in one of the, uh, the little seminars and it was on, um, I, w- I was there with a, uh, as a retailer and the talk that was being given was on like how to run an RPG focused game store. And the first thing the guy said was if, if all you sell is D and D and maybe Pathfinder, you are not an RPG store. You are a D and D store. He's like the amount it, it was, he was,
2: what does that does that mean? You're not going to be successful, or like was he, his, was he
1: kind of frothing around the side
0: of the mouth when he was saying that, <laughs> or was he just being a purist, <laughs> pointing well, accusingly he, at the crowd? He he was basically saying like there there is so much out there that gets ignored or right that uh, that people miss out on because they see D and D and they go eh, that's fine that's good enough and he's like the, the amount of incredible games out there that do wonderful things, um, is staggering. And most people have mm-hmm. no freaking clue about like any of it because D and D largely just dominates the conversation and the scene. Sure. Um,
2: that's l- true. Well, let me ask you, AJ, you know, uh, Since you've you're familiar with a lot of different systems, like what is your go to that isn't D and D?
1: Palladium. I play Heroes Unlimited. I'm a big fan of uh, that since it first came out, Um, Mm. and I really enjoy it. I play Call of Cthulhu occasionally. It's like my um, you know you don't drink a glass of wine every day, but every every now and then you enjoy a glass, and that's my glass of "Hmm," Mm. that particular flavor. Uh, but I wouldn't play Call of Cthulhu every day. That's that's just my personal thing. Oh, sure. I could play Palladium every single day. I, I really like that system. Um, I know it like the back of my hand just through sheer familiarity. Uh, Traveler is also really good, uh, but it's not something that I play every day either. I would play Warhammer 40k every day, mm. uh, particularly like Dark uh, Inquisition and uh, Rogue Trader are really good. And I'm really itching to get my hands on only War, which is focusing on the Imperial Guard things. I've also got Death Watch, which um, is uh, just takes it up to, dials it up to 11, where you're playing <laughs> um, a squad of near-suicidal um, multi-different chapter space marines who have joined the Death Watch to go get thrown into the worst situations in the entire universe, um, which which is fun. Now you're talking about uh, the awesome. role-playing
2: game, not literally
1: Warhammer 40k, or do you mean like... No, I've never actually played a tabletop um, with miniatures armies, game of Warhammer 40k. Right, I've, it's always just been role playing games for mm. me. Now, in regard to the the whole broad topic of you're not really a role player unless you've played lots of different settings, uh, lots of different systems. I would say no. Oh, um, I you can play. I wouldn't agree with that. You can either. play anything. Yeah. You can play anything with fifth um, edition, for instance. I made a video about that. You can you can play any sort of setting you want with the fifth edition rules. Uh, they're not just rules for Dungeons & Dragons. They're oriented around, they're built around Dungeons & Dragons, but you can run a sci-fi game using right. that, that rule system. It's quite robust. It all comes, it's all based on your attributes mm-hmm. and uh, a proficiency per level system. So it's not specifically about fighters and mages and things. Right. Magic's just technology. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah, They've even got stats for ray guns and stuff in the uh, Dungeon Master's yep. Guide. It's right there in the core rules. Yeah. so. Don't go telling me that it's not, you know, it's not a versatile system. Oh, sure. Because I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. So that being said- (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that being said uh, um, that being said devil's advocate uh, I also have played a lot of different games and that have informed my role playing and right. I do understand that different settings have do- different rule systems have got a different nuance that they bring to the table mm-hmm. like it has got a different feel oh yeah and, definitely. and it's hard to accomplish it using a generic system when there's a specific system for it but right. that's the weakness of specific systems too yep they can provide a very specific like kids on bikes provides a very specific feel uh, and it would be hard to do that with 5th uh, edition. You could, but you've got a ready-made system right there for you. Right. Um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess gives you that OSR feel with a nice, smooth, and streamlined system. Yet on the other hand, there's people who have also married, what's the other one? Basic fantasy roleplay, various various different things, um, and different settings that are uh, for you as well. Like, um, let's see, the old Margrave Forest Tales from the Old Margrave, Cobalt Press's um, world setting, mm. um, has got a very specific feel for it as well. You know, but it's, it's still classic sort of D&D. Oh, sure. But it's not it's not Forgotten Realms. It's not Greyhawk. You know, it's something different mm-hmm. you, can, you can play. And I would, I would also argue that Pathfinder is just Dungeons and Dragons. Oh sure. It's oh, a yeah. different yeah. world setting and things. Oh, yeah. Um <laughs> and it's harkening back to three point five or three point seven five as we call it. Yes. But um the the weaknesses of the thing that frustrated me with three point five is still there in Pathfinder and they haven't really deviated enough away from that mm-hmm. for I've tried with Pathfinder. Yeah, and what's too. that? What's that frustrating That's thing? The, the 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 abundance of feats, yes. and the yeah. overcomplication of that and it being locked into I agree. Train um, mm-hmm. as you yeah. go through up and level. You just don't have that freedom to to go. Oh, what feat should I have? Let's it's really laid out for you because you've got this goal in mind that you want your character to be. Right. So it seems like you have a lot of choices with the feats, but in actual fact, you don't. Yeah. Right. Um, and when it comes
2: to I think the feat design in fifth, at least for a lot of the good ones, you know it they feel good to take like you mm. actually opted into it as opposed to feeling obligated that you must take it in order to be viable yeah, or right. optimized.
1: Also, and, they're not incremental and there's no prerequisite sort of conditions. Right. That's that's the thing that 5th edition is doing is it's following the path of freedom, of choices mm-hmm. in D&D, which has been in the works the entire way through the different editions. 5th um, edition is freeing you to have nuanced characters that follow a story of your own creation. You're not locked into, this is a dwarf and this is what they do. Right. In the earliest incarnations of the game, a dwarf was your character class, your race. It was everything. You were very much locked into being a stereotypical dwarf. Mm. You're a dwarf. That's what you do. Your culture is your class. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's it. Uh then you get to be a dwarf from a different type of background. You get to be a dwarf cleric, or you get to be a dwarf magic user. So this was a big innovation back at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to do it this. And now it's like, okay, are you an elf who was raised in a dwarven society? Right. What does that look like? So let's that's that's where sixth edition is gonna be, if you ask me. It's it's just a further progression of this freedom to mm. be a character class that that makes sense. Backgrounds. Uh, and your culture, your biological heritage, and your character class, your your professional training, I think is the is the four key pins of what makes your character do what it does. And then everything from there on is just your life experience that you're gaining as you go up in level. Sure, it's- um, I would say that I think sixth edition should have some sort of a feedback so that what you're actually doing at the table reflects very strongly on how your character progresses. So if you've mm. never used the skill, it doesn't go up. That would you know? be cool. That mm-hmm. would be really interesting. It might be a little
2: bit difficult to track unless right. the GM's able to award it in the moment or something like that. That might work. Yeah, well, That's the beauty of playing mostly online and with, <laughs> that's um, true. with that sort of
1: stuff. Apps.
2: Yeah. yeah apps, apps. apps can keep track of anything, right? That part's easy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, so with that sort of freedom of progression being said, like, do you have thoughts about uh, Tasha's? Because to me, I look at Tasha's and I and I think it's very much in that line, right? Mm. And it seems to be perhaps an early test ground to see what might carry over into 6th edition. At least that's my that's my theory. I don't know if you have any yeah. thoughts about it. I know it's not exactly a lore book, but I'm but you read the rules too, I'm sure.
1: So. Yeah. Well, Wizards of the Coast doesn't have the luxury to 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 mess around with freaky concepts they can throw out some stuff Mm -hmm. in the unearthed arcana and see see what bites Mm. but they can't what they do really does echo through the entire industry right so they can they can literally change the face of dungeons and dragons with just a few subtle little, little bits and pieces here and there it could be like pronouns it could be um an acknowledgement that Drow are this and not that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that I, I'm disappointed with, um, particularly as I go through, I'm, I'm doing some videos on both and the drow right now, um, uh, lots of spider themed stuff. And I got the, uh, I ran into Facebook <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and Facebook saying, well, oh, the, 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 you know, it's, it's got to do with like, uh, the, it's not okay to have to be an evil creature and have dark skin or that sort of mm. thing and I'm like well okay how much do you actually know about the history of the drow like do you know what do you know where the illithory come from do you know what they were doing <laughs> do you think the drow were bad well let me go back to the time before they were the drow and what they were doing and why they got sort of sort of thrown out of the surface world um and how that influenced and reflected um onto that like I'm dealing with not just like there's lots. How do I condense this down? Because it's kind of like what I'm working on at the moment. <laughs> you can describe you can describe um, one of the deities of Dungeons and Dragons as though it's a real thing, and what the deity do does influences the world of mortals. It's actually around the other way. Mm. What the mortals are doing very much influences what the gods are. Yeah. So different gods are uh, they're pan-dimensional astral entities. So they're thought beings. That manifest different versions of themselves depending on what world they're associated with, because the worshipers there believe that Loth is this here; they believe that Lolth is that here. Um, and they're not necessarily exactly the same. So the Greyhawk Lolth is fairly different in her origin story and what the 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 elves were doing mm. than the fan the uh, Forgotten Realms elves. The Forgotten Realms story was very well. Illustrated by Elaine Cunningham and her the elves of Evermeet. Um, she very much wrote, and it, this is kind of interesting because it was like a third party novelist who was, who was really writing the law of what the elves were about. Kind of like Bruce Cordell and Monty Cook, mainly Bruce um, really gave us the, uh, the mind flayers mm. and, and, um, and mapped out a fantastic species and just endlessly interesting. Um, much the same way the, if you really look at what was going on in the early history of the elves, we're talking 30,000 years ago, they shaped the elven pantheon. Um, so it was, um, Arishni was a lesser goddess who was um, a goddess of crafting and weaving. And secondary to that was she looked like the dark elves, the, the night elves and the night elves became a cultural force of dominance that um, enslaved other Elven um, subraces. They dominated the landscape and they grew the first Elven Empire. And because of that, originally was elevated to being the consort of their creator god, Coraline Larathian. Um, but <laughs> they also were very evil and enslaved lots of people because there was nobody to tell them not to. Mm. And as a result of that, the, the backlash was really severe. They got involved with a lot of summoning demons and things. And um, the Elven Society fell to pieces and descended into five um, successive wars uh, that were brutal and global and resulted in changing the landscape of the planet and, uh, and, and erecting magics which disrupted um, the entire draconian, draconian um, race. Um, all the dragons got uh, affected by the Dragon Rage mythal. They sundered the world, tried to bring the afterlife to the world, and smashed the the, the landscape so much that it, it shattered the supercontinent and um, echoed through time. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty hardcore. So you try and cor- like you try and say to people at the start of the video, well, like, okay, what is a god? What is true about this God and what's not true? Well, you really have to look at the mortals and what the mortals were doing to make any sort of sense of this folklore, mm. this mythology, this religion, because that's what it really boils down to. So, so there is a lot of lore for
2: you to know.
1: There has mm. been tons. I, I, I mean, how many videos do you have? You have. like, a, uh, Let's see. If you started watching them now, um, it would take you two two or three weeks to finish them.
2: Right. Mm. Yeah, there is a, a, quite a generous amount. I've I've watched recently about Theros. I watched about uh, the Yawgals. I watched about Rakshasa. I'm definitely going to put Rakshasa in something now because I mm. was like super enthusiastic about that. How do you keep all this straight? I, I, we kind of mentioned it a little bit bef- before we you know jumped into the show, but how in the world can you keep this in your mind? Like I can't, um, I, I can't remember if I even meeting on a given day half the time.
1: <laughs> uh, so the, the trick is, um, is that while I'm making a video, I'm learning about the subject. So I make videos about stuff to learn about them just as much as somebody who's listening to it is learning about them in, along with me. Mm. So there's the enthusiasm that keeps me coming back to it again and again and again. I'm really studying all of this stuff as a literary history over 40 years that's been central to my life. Mm. So... Um, it's it's very motivating for me to 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 delve into all these books and things because it's there. Nobody seems to be really doing it the same way that I am. There's a few like Jordan and Mr. Rex have got their own voices and their own take on things, and they've got an audience which are listening to their voice. Um, but mine is a different sort of style. I quite often have people telling me that they listen to it as it, like when they're commuting to work, or mm. um, I even am their storytelling time before they go to sleep at night. You know, so. This nice. sort of easy listening accent puts people to sleep. I'm fine with that.
0: And might be <laughs> learning
1: it and subconsciously while they're, <laughs> while they're drifting off. Um, yes. But so when I start to delve into a, um, a setting like Hellrua, for instance, um, I don't really know a lot about Haurua when I start making the video, but by the end of it, I've, I've found as much as I possibly can about Haurua. It's not perfect. I don't know everything. Um, it may I may have made some mistakes along the way. I might have um, accidentally put some fourth edition stuff in there, which people don't think is real. Um, hmm. But as I go and as the more and more videos that I make, the more and more uh, skill I pick up in research and what to sift through and how to find it, how to structure things, so, there's a gradual, if you've watched a lot of my content, you'll see that there has been an incremental but very steady change in the quality of the video, how I um, present that lore. Sure. And uh, yeah, some of it sticks in my head, a lot of it doesn't, but that 10% builds up over time. So now I look at a map of the Forgotten Realms and it's as familiar to me as a world map of, uh, it's, it's, it's as familiar to me as, it's probably actually more familiar to me than the American continent. Like, mm. I'd know how to find, you know, say faster than I would Des, Des Moines. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, here's a question to that
2: extent. Let's say that um, something, you know, goes wrong in the weave, in the multiverse, and uh, maybe you cost it, I don't know, but you somehow physically end up in Faroon. <laughs> Where do you go?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where would I go? I'd head straight to Candlekeep. Um, it's one of the it's one of the safest locations. I would also have a lot of knowledge that would get me through the door. There you go. Yes. Um, like I'd say, hey, um, can you? Like, first of all, there'd only be a few people who'd be able to understand the language that I'm speaking. That need to use a spell to understand me because uh, I'm not speaking. I'm not speaking tith, uh, Common. You know, right? Um, and uh, so, some wizard would come. Probably. Um, um, oh, what's his name? Elminster. Mm. <laughs> <Probably> El- <laughs> there you go. What's his name? Probably Elminster some would come guy. bustling down. <laughs> he'd come bustling down with a ridiculous pipe of his and oh, no, stare hell. down at me. <coughs> Walking up to my you, door. Some, you can't be a sage. You're built like a fighter. No, um, he'd come down. That's uh, ridiculous. He'd, uh, he'd, he'd ask me a couple of questions and then he'd realize i am I'm actually from the future from uh from the planet earth uh yeah because we're not at it we're not at the same time period as uh as the forgotten realms we're actually a few hundred years in advance so everything that we're learning about the forgotten realms now is actually about 300 years ago so it's kind of interesting um so i'd be a time traveler and a space traveler at the same time <laughs> <laughs> so what i know about candle i don't know maybe candle has been Involved in some sort of horrific plot and half of it went missing as um, accidentally, uh, somebody accidentally activated a Betraki portals network that got transported by mistake. If I had a nickel for every time that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I can tell you about Candlekeep is that it's got very good crab cakes. Mm-hmm. They make excellent mead. Um, so and- do you. Apparently. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's true. I've actually moved on to uh, distilling my own um, spirits now, but I, I managed to distill some mead. I made mead brandy, which mm. will knock your, f- knock your socks off. It's very nice. Oh, it tastes man. like fire, fire <laughs> with an aftertaste of, of, of honey without sweetness. It's kind of weird.
2: Whoa. Anyway. I, I'm fascinated. Key. For sure. I'm fascinated.
1: After that, I would probably go and get my eyes on, I'll travel down the Sword Coast uh, by land. Um, travel through arm and I would like to get my eyes on an actual reggae barbarian because I've never seen an eight foot tall uh, European before (laughs) 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 and uh, I don't know I think I think that'd be really interesting and uh, and some of the stuff that I know like um, I'd like to go and take a, uh, a glass bottom tour of a um, the lake of steam and see some of the, the outrageously large goldfish that I have there
3: <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> and then establish a little place for my own of, and the border kingdoms, you know, lovely like man, but learning magic for sure. Learning magic <laughs> would be a high priority. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, and the candle keep would be a really good place to start that journey. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, doubtlessly. Of course, um, I'd
1: probably be very popular on lantern as well with the, what I know about, you know, technology and stuff. And also the introduction of, uh, magic-free medical supplies such as penicillin and things like that. Mm. You know, well, take what, this bread well, mold, uh, distil, what about Faye, though? You turn know? it into a pill. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, um yeah, you know, can you kind of, you know, for, the main thing that we talk about here when we do our inspiration points is we kind of talk about, you know, how to play in a game or how to run a game. And, you know, we kind of give a lot of advice Regarding that. So, you know, as you know, bringing in that lore perspective, Mm. you know, how do you deliver? Because when I look at lore, I essentially see background. I see a lot of exposition. Mm -hmm. And part of the trick is how do you deliver this kind of information? How do you deliver this exposition in a way that flows well in a game uh, where your players are going to remember things like do you have any advice regarding that?
1: Making i making it sure engaging. Um, this this was uh, advice that was handed down by Matt Click um, from a Fistful of Dice channel, okay. and uh, and also from uh, Barker, a friend of his, who are part of the um, they did, they run a little publishing company um, amongst themselves. Um, one of it was whenever your character does a a lore or a history check, what you do is you narrate um, what was going on in their life when they learned it. Mm. Uh, so you're actually going back into the history of the character and you're narrating a scene from their past. So it's a, it's, a mm. it's like a history Flashback montage sort of thing. Yeah. So it helps you like once the DM says you were in the library with who was the master, who was the master who was teaching you swordplay at the time. And it was like, Oh, um, make up a name on the spot, note it down on your character sheet. Now you've got an NPC that may be involved in future aspects of the campaign. So you're developing your character at the same time that you are immersing yourself in the story of your character that brings it to life, not only for the player and the DM, but, and ties it into the world, but also is, um, just fun. Mm. Like it, it immerses you in the world. So this character now has a past. They're not just a character sheet that started at the start of this campaign, um, they, they now existed prior to that. So what were they like at level zero, you know? Mm. And it also gives you um, this opportunity to, to have fun with it. Like, where does this law come from? How is it passed on to that character? Where did they learn about alchemy? Where did they learn about medicine? Um, you know, what how how did they come by this knowledge in the first place? What aspect of their training or life or background or culture informed them what a autuke is? Where did they learn that Caterpillibus make cheese? You know, mm. um, how do they know that the 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 wood of the spellbook is Southwood? Where does Southwood come from? You know, that sort of thing. So the DM has researched this. They've got a little snippet and they, they give them the box text in a way that that ties it into their character and makes it a part of their character's life. And it's a role playing immersive experience. It's not just rolling a dice and checking a table. I love that. Mm. What a
2: great answer. I am stealing that. And of course, now you'll notice when I do that, right? Oh, like whenever you totally. make a check in my game. <laughs> so then I'll be like, I'm "Well, when you were it. a kid," and you'll be like, oh, "Here we go!
0: Here we go!" <laughs> I'm gonna. Why would I possibly be? Let's <laughs> go on a journey. Uh, yes, yeah. that's very interesting because it it also kind of um, it puts it on the both the GM and the player to to treat this knowledge and the lore in a way that is beyond the immediate practical application of that information. It's, it's, not, mm. it's not just, do I know what that flower is? Yes, it's this. It's, it's addressing what this information means to your character because it's it's also information that your character has retained it's because how many things through life have we heard that we've forgotten i mean shoot you just think about anything from uh from being a kid and actually being in school this is stuff you're be- you're deliberately being taught and a lot of it many of us don't at least actively remember um Mm. So, when we look at our characters and we roll these different knowledge checks or anything comes in uh that's lore related, and you realize, oh, my character knows this thing, it's important to consider oh wow my my character knows this. why do they know this and and to have some kind of answer or interest in in an explanation to that that goes deeper than i just chose to check that proficiency on my sheet Mm -hmm.
2: uh i like how it relates now to the memory and i think that's also going to make it a lot more memorable very yeah
1: it also it allows you to um I'm always a big believer in if you have a good idea, put it in the game immediately. Don't don't <laughs> string it along like a carrot on a stick mm. and make your characters trick for miles and miles to get to it. Put it in the game as soon as you can because you're going to have a next it's going to inspire the next idea and the next one and it'll just make sure. your game more epic. Mm. Um same sort of thing with world building. You don't stop world building when the campaign starts. That's Very really true. when the world comes to life and it's a cooperative thing. So the characters should the, the players should have as much input on their character's backstory and their place in the world, as you do, mm. um, as the DM. So that gives them that opportunity. You say, "Okay, the floor is open. The mic is yours. Tell me about your character's history. Mm. Tie it in here. Give me some NPC names. Give me some stuff that'll tie you into that location or this location. So if you get there, I'll have that NPC waiting for you, mm. ready to go. You know, that's cool. It's it, it's giving it's giving that that that." Key to your character, and it's giving your DM a lot of stuff, that w- which allows them to concentrate on your character. That's exactly where you want to be. You want your character to be the spotlight yeah, for absolutely. a certain section of the the episode. And so that's that's how you build those those the, that juice and put it in there. I think it's I
0: think it's important um that you you put it across, like basically that the GM also kind of almost giving permission to the players as well, because it's as a player, it's very easy to think about the world and the campaign and whatnot as, as something that the GM has put a lot of work into that they are trying to craft and things like that. And while this is a cooperative storytelling game, it's, you know, it, it'd be foolish to uh, to say that the storytelling effort is like 100 percent equal. Like, you know, the mm. the GM is putting a ton into this and they're thinking about all these different things. Um, so but there
2: is some shared responsibility. Oh, and, and absolutely. Oh, for sure.
1: And and beyond it's just responsibility, it's... privilege, you might say. Right. Yeah, it's also an excellent way to deal with a disruptive player. Quite often, it's just attention-seeking that they're that that is uh, the root of it. They're bored. They want they want attention. Yeah, so this is a way that you engage them in a constructive manner. Um, It can really turn the tide on a problematic player, like you Mm. wouldn't believe. And it's also a technique that carries over to as a YouTuber. I deal with people like in comments and stuff where they're used to being ignored, Mm. and all of a sudden I'm talking to them in the comments and it's the first time I've had somebody who's responded to them it's a disarming and it changes action. their entire dominion. So they go from being a troll yep. who the only way they can give you critique is negatively mm-hmm. to all of a sudden you've ignored the negativity and taken on their critique and say, okay, thanks. That's helpful. That's the way I grow. You know, that's the way I develop. That's really terrific. And yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's not even, it's not wishy-washy. It's not passive. Mm. It's, it's active and it's controlled and it's measured and it's considerate. It's respectful of your players and their role in the game of this cooperative storytelling. And it doesn't matter whether they've been in the game for a long time or they're just starting out. It gives them that opportunity regardless. And it's mm-hmm. something that sh- that should have been included all along, I think. That's really Can awesome. you
2: share a story about that kind of experience? I mean, maybe... maybe I sure can. It's, what, it's one of
1: my favorites. Wonderful. This was my one of my favorite role-playing experiences ever where I sat back and just watched the game for 15 minutes as a a DM, um, as it just took off. So what happened was my good buddy Ian was playing a cleric of a trickster god, and he decided to pull the wool over his god's eyes and do something kind of a little bit devious. And I thought, what would happen if you try tricking a trickster? Hmm. Well, he's (laughs) going to trick you real hard. So what happened was they were supposed to be going on their way to... White Plume Mountain or something like that. We were going through a kick in the campaign where we were playing lots of classic um, campaign modules, which I'd never played before. i was very much a homebrew sort of a guy. Wonder what that's like. Uh, but they like. never actually made it there. <laughs> Sorry, what? I said I wonder what that's like to to be
0: to be uh, to be someone who sticks like glue to doing homebrew stuff and avoids modules like the plague. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, AJ, you should feel proud that you're like in the one module I've like, ever
1: run. <laughs> <laughs> Chronic. Yeah. We yeah. Uh, we ended up doing uh, the Haunted Halls of Evening Star, which was really good, but it needed a lot of padding, mm. a lot of padding. I'm very much a, a soapbox sort of um, a sandpit sort of a guy. So I needed a lot more than just like the players needed an excuse to go to this dungeon. Right. Back in the day, you never need an excuse to go to a dungeon. You just heard it was there and that's it. Pack your bags, yep. kick a door down, and away you go. Yeah. Plus, we had um, reoccurring characters like Crandy, the, uh, the goblin barmaid, kept it showing up in every single campaign. Perfect. Tink, this little cannonball automation that never really, yeah. nobody really understood what he was there for. I love that. Anyway, so That's my jam. Tricks to tricks, tricks to God decides to pull um, this 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 trick on him. It's centered around a magical crystal that split reality. So it, it, became a, it became a planar nexus. Think the Dark Crystal mm, from uh, Jim Henson's thing. And from that, I took the theme of the mirrors and the mirror mage from Conan the Barbarian, uh, the second movie, Conan the Destroyer. So all an illusion. Um, and also this movie that i just recently watched um which was about a strange cosmic event which ended up binding together parallel universes that were that seemed exactly like each other but there were slight differences and they, they managed to interact with each other without realizing it at first until all of a sudden you're in the wrong universe and you get stuck there you know my brain is already uh, you run bending. into an alternate yeah, so what happened, in effect, is they went under this ruin of a dwarven outpost or an elven outpost. I can't remember exactly what it was. doesn't matter. And they found this corridor that split off into eight different directions. And the eight different directions were the same corridor from alternate planes of existence Whoa. where there were alternate versions of their own characters doing exactly the same thing and coming from the opposite direction. They didn't know this. And it was all tied into this crystal thingy at the centre. So... Um, I described to them their character coming at them or they've, and this is the perfect thing. They split the party to go into different directions <laughs> down the different corridors. I was like, Oh, this could not be more perfect. Oh my <laughs> describe. God. So there were NPCs that had died horrifically in previous um, sessions of the game uh, that had sort of driven this. Oh, there was this one particular character named guard. He had a kid named Boyd who was like his apprentice who got killed by some mind flayers. And he then made a little toy doll, named it Boyd, and talked to it at the table oh to such an extent God. that we were actually worried for his sanity. Oh, <laughs> my God. Such such was his level. He's, he's a very accomplished Call of Cthulhu DM, so he plays mad oh, like you would not believe. Sure. Yeah. So there am I sitting there. I've got Hazel who's sitting at the corner of the table. She's been talking to herself in character. Talking the two different roles of the of her her own character talking to each other for a good five minutes. We've got others who are dealing with the fact that a, a member of a you know a, a reincarnated boy is now with them again, and this is going on. I'm sitting back, chuckling, my arms folded, penciled down. I should have been taking notes because they were wandering around different corridors. And as it turns out, when they broke the crystal and all these uh, realities cut off from each other, I had to do a little bit of nerfing because they would have ended up with alternate universe characters in the wrong universe. Oh, God. With very very Rick and Morty situations like this isn't (laughs) your world. Yeah, so it, it, it was beautiful. It was the first time they were completely immersed in the game and talking amongst themselves with NPCs and stuff, and I didn't have to do a thing. Wow. Uh, wow,
2: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, living that, the dream.
2: That is so cool. Like, when you can get all the stars aligned like that. Um, and it was totally rare. off
1: the cuff. Totally off the cuff. Just just ran with it. Yeah. That. Oh,
2: my gosh. That, well, And it sounds like you also had an experienced you know, strong group together too that they
1: yeah, were able to, that was, to make that, that was about year number five that we'd been role playing together. So it was it was pretty ago.
0: I I think yeah. that's that is something that I I feel like I relate pretty strongly to just just the um I feel like the a lot of the best stuff that's happened in games that I've run have been things that were just off the cuff. Um mm where you know things I plan like I I make a big deal out of um you know saying that I that I never plan or that I plan very little and stuff and that's that's not necessarily true especially now that I'm uh (laughs) running Curse of Strahd like I you know I'm taking it seriously but but you're very good in the moment and you do a good job carrying it in the moment thanks I um and I, I feel like that's where a lot of the genuineness kind of comes in because, you know, with the planning, I mean, to an extent, it's also scripting in in some form where um, once you get everyone kind of just playing straight from their gut and um, mm. going about things that way, that's when you're really really role-playing you're trying to think like your character you're trying to be your character as the gm you are being the npcs or the monsters or just the freaking environment um you're trying to embody an an element of the story instead of just reading off the story um and let me um oh sorry no it's go go, go ahead it's fine
2: Okay, um, I have another question for you, AJ. Like in terms of delivering expository information and uh, and lore to your characters, we talked about when they make a knowledge check. Um, mm-hmm. What what's another opportunity? What's another uh, way to deliver information
1: that that you've found? Oh well, des- describing describing um, showing not telling um, is yeah. describing something descriptively um, and evocatively. So uh it's not just you face a hag it's you're facing this person who mm-hmm. is not human um who's revealed herself as as a supernatural creature um who was um born of a foul sorcery um from the life force of a devoured baby you know twisted by the the the, the energies of Hades from whence who her, her, her kind came after they were thrown out of the the fae this is the creature that's Origin stems back to before the Feywild had lords and ladies, when it was just the tooth and claw of nature. Um, the worst things that you can imagine in, in nature, like it's the Feywild borders up against the Astral Plane, so it's it's the the imagination of the worst things that are in the forest, in the darkness under the canopy. It's creatures with too many legs and too many teeth, mm. and uh, the Hag may look humanoid and it may steer be, may be staring at you with those. Eyes with irises and pupils, and expressions and things. But there's an animal behind it, mm. not a person. It's looking at you like your food.
2: Damn, dude. That's pretty good. <laughs> Don't stop. I was, I, was, I was with you. I saw her face, man. It was terrifying. Oh, my God. That was good. <laughs> yeah, good job, man. Uh, I like that. Um, when You know, what is, an I, I guess... What is another way, maybe just one more, maybe another tip, how we deliver information? So showing through description, Mm -hmm. uh, the knowledge check. What do you do when your players need information? They're not asking for it. They haven't done anything
1: to to prompt it, but you need to move forward. Um, So passive checks aren't just for what you're spotting in the environment. They're also knowledge checks. Okay, um, so you can run a passive check for any skill that your character has. Sure, um, and that really relates back to know what your characters know what the player characters' attributes are, and make a list of the highest for each one in the party. Hmm. I've because suggested take the lead that before. On things. <laughs> yeah, they're going to take the lead on things. Like um, in one particular campaign, I had a character that was played by uh, my good friend Andrew. It was a, get this character's background. It was in the drow's body, a burnt drow's body. Uh, the drow had been resurrected uh, with the soul of one of the victims that the drow had been killing in a Kohatoan community. <laughs> so <laughs> you had this amphibian Kohatoan soul, kind of crazy, that had been put into the body of its archenemy and tasked by Blibdulpoop, his god, to find the Rod of Seven Parts and destroy it, keep it, keep it from being made, because uh didn't want order and sanity enacted on the uh, on the world. She had a, a a secondary objective, which is actually to restore sanity to herself for a, a brief moment of time. But yeah, anyway, so it just so happened that this character had a really high wisdom score, had the highest wisdom score out of all of them, and this means that the character was more observant of the world around them than anybody else. And Mm. people would naturally gravitate towards that character to ask their advice and make decisions because they knew more about what was going on around them. So it's a subtle but very important Mm. thing that the wisdom score of your character, even if they're not taking a leadership role, will cause NPCs to talk to them first or cause the players to just go with the direction of that, that person particularly as that person was the divine caster in the group. So they're in touch with a power which can give them answers beyond anything they can have in the environment around them. So while his character was crazy and secretive and did weird things, um, he ended up being the leader type on, on that group just because I was leading it in that general direction. And NPCs talked to him first and followed his lead and stuff. And eventually the characters did too, the other players around the table. So it was partly my job to... To impress that, to show that dynamic—that makes so um, much so sense. Yeah. So it's your job to 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 look at the stats and put together the, the the underlying sort of social theme because the players aren't necessarily going to look at each other's stats and go, "Oh, okay, you're the obviously the strongest one." So, blah, you're going to do that. But when it comes to mental stats, charisma, and things, pe- people often think that's charisma—that is the leadership quality. It's not. It's wisdom. Hmm. hmm.
2: And, and why do you feel it's
1: wisdom instead of um, charisma? Charisma will get charisma. you through the door. Wisdom will get people's attention. Like it'll, it, like they'll listen to somebody who's charming, but they'll pay attention to somebody who's got a high wisdom score because the person who's got a high wisdom score will actually tell them what's going on. So hmm. you'll see this on in, in, in the day-to-day people around you. Like if somebody just spits out facts like their Wikipedia, you're going to ask their opinion about things, you know? Because they just seem to know what they're what they're talking about.
2: Mm. Oh, so it's like ethos.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. You know, back in the day before the internet, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you had a friend who was like a Google, who was like a Wikipedia. Is the sort of person who who you'd say, "Do you do quizzes at pubs and stuff?" Like, honestly, you seem to know so much. It's just like, mm. oh yeah, I read a dictionary when I was a child. You know, I was, I was dropped into a cauldron of Wikipedias when I was a baby. <laughs> You know
2: my my wife will do this thing where she asks me uh if I know something and I'll tell her the answer and then she's like looks at me like I don't know if that's right. Yeah. You know, you you bad. Bad. <laughs> yeah.
0: I hate that. <laughs> it's like what? You thought I was lying?
2: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I think I think uh I think I have high charisma but maybe low wisdom and I didn't know that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's your best stat? My best stat uh Hmm. definitely not Constitution. Constitution is one of my <laughs> lowest for sure. <laughs> if there's a Constitution attribute which is specifically about being in a, the same position, tapping on a keyboard and reading stuff for six hours, and then like suddenly looking up, every every bone in your spine going click and going, yeah. oh, I need to eat and pee. Yeah, <laughs> been there. That's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Other than that, charisma is pretty good. Uh, just, just like if, if, if I get somebody's attention, then I can, I can, I can talk pretty smooth when I need to. I pride myself. on talking myself out of fights. That's for sure. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, that may just be because I'm like four feet wide. I don't know. (laughs) Um, but yeah. And, uh, I, if there was a stat for cooking, that'd be really high too. Oh yeah. What's your, what's your favorite dish? Uh, I'm at the moment. I'm definitely on a Indian kick. So I do a lot uh, of normas and uh, tiki masalas and stuff like that. Eat lovely. a lot of chicken, a lot of chicken. Mm. Do you have chickens? Yeah, we've got some uh, on the property here. I live on an orchard out in uh, the Bay of Plenty. So it's a very, very nice lush. We like the uh, avocado capital of New Zealand. And uh, the Bay of a lot of, of citrus, a lot of kiwi fruit, and a lot of avocados around here. It's avocado season right now, so... Um, yeah, I know oh, people who are packing avocados as we speak. God, and um, we've got a tree out the back which is just laden with them right now. Oh my <laughs> so, yeah. god! I've made a guacamole the size of a like size of a football helmet. I it's crazy. I, anyway I've had a
0: uh, I've, I had developed like an avocado allergy or reaction like like maybe ten years ago or so and. Like mm-hmm. to the point where if I, if I eat avocado, like I'll start getting chest pain, like, like strange or like really uncomfortable indigestion kind of stuff. And it still to this day is just heartbreaking because wow. I, I used to be able to kill an entire Massive bowl of guac. I'd use six avocados, six tomatoes, like freaking onions.
1: But well, I think that's the answer, Andrew. I think you overdid it. <laughs> no, yeah. oh my God. I like, <laughs> like that with uh, mustard. I, I can't stand oh, mustard anymore. It, it, oh, it'll too make me bad. Yeah. I overdid it with uh, hot dogs. I, do you have an, a nut allergy at all? I don't.
0: I hmm. I can. I, I'm i really like not allergic to anything apart from like Crazy. this weird thing with avocado and i miss Man. it so much oh yeah. so good
2: oh.
1: You, you should just do it anyway <laughs> i kind of just, just, just dye go. some dye some tofu green um squid a little bit of celery juice on it you'll be right you'll be all right <laughs> close enough
0: <laughs> no it's not <laughs> no. <laughs> no,
1: it's now you not. know how we feel vegans whenever you give us some fake sausage right? It's not the same <laughs> not the same uh, we should do that. We should make some fake vegetables for vegans just to make them make them understand.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. It was bison. Gotcha. It was bison.
1: <laughs> um, <gasps> <gasps> yeah, it was a crocodile. That was a crocodile not a cauliflower. You're a that was an endangered black rhino. How do you feel about that?
3: <laughs> <laughs> How could you do that to me?
2: It died of natural causes. It's all right. Um, I think that get, I need to write that down being, for a bad guy for a campaign. Now,
1: <laughs> being, being being school s- of wizardry el- illusions, yes, change one <laughs> food into another. Dying, I, dying by press uh, does that,
0: doesn't it? When when avocado is uh, such a weird food, it is so yes. good. I'm it's I'm just thinking about it. I'm just picturing uh, that that rhino dying of natural causes. I mean, dying when when a knife goes into you is natural. <laughs> right. It's true. That it's true. is the natural reaction to that event. So
1: there you go. So, so, so on avocados, like this is, this is uh, looking at avocados a different way. Uh, when, a walnut <laughs> okay. grows, when a walnut grows on a tree, it's got a green husk around it and it's got the nut on the inside right. and the husk sort of peels off. And then you've got the, the, and you're actually getting the seed on the inside of that nut. Right. right? An avocado is a walnut on the inside but the outside husk bit is the bit that you eat. Huh. Huh. That's freaking weird. You never thought about <laughs> it that way, did you? No. No, never asked. I have. Been. <laughs> On the topic of walnuts, walnut, and I, this, this, this is part of the whole thing of being a researching scribe type person. Walnut, I looked up, I was like, what does walnut actually mean? And it means foreign nut because the Romans transported walnuts around along with peaches and nectarines and stuff from the Middle East. So it means foreign nut. So it was just like, what is this nut tree? It's one of the ones that the Romans brought here. It's a it's a foreign nut. <laughs> That's what it means. I don't know what the original name for the walnut was wherever it came from. What it, don't know. I th- so
2: you you find yourself in the rabbit hole of of information on the regular, <laughs> I assume, right? Like yeah. just getting absolutely like. I've seen Where parts I've of Wikipedia,
1: been? boy, that's never <laughs> seen the light of day. <laughs> the amount of furry things. art that I'm subjected to on a daily basis <laughs> oh looking God. for good God. fantasy art. I, just, like, people uh, ask me for lupin and like tabaxi oh, videos. It's like, I don't want to even go there anymore, nope, guys. Just stay oh, away from even mystery of looking for snails. Stay away from deviant art. Stay away. Oh, I, I can't. It's so There's good. Some I just good can't. Stuff. It's good stuff. There's some, a lot of bad stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> ArtStation and DeviantArt. Art, and, yeah, art is the place. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, Very I use uh, Pinterest a lot. Pinterest I, is I, good,
1: but it's really terrible for attributing where the art actually comes from. You, mm, what you do is mm. you find a good bit of artwork on Pinterest and then you have to track down where it came from. Usually it'll come from Art Station or DeviantArt. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you, it's you, impossible. You just get
2: good quality from ArtStation typically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing is, is that it's directly from the source. So you know exactly who to attribute it to. Right. Um, and the artist gets the credit on the video. And I, I, For a long time, I didn't put any sort of accreditation. It really doesn't take very long. It's part of my natural search process now. So I do mm. actually, what I do is I just take a, I take a copy of the picture, put it into paint, MS paint, and I just put the uh, artist name down the bottom of the picture. And then I save it, that file, as the artist's name. There you so go. So I know exactly what I'm looking at. If anybody asks me where it comes from, I'll be able to oh, direct them to it. That's a great idea. That's really nice. Yeah, it should be standard practice for every YouTuber to do that. So, yeah.
2: Should I be. I agree. So you know so much about D&D lore. I, I have to know, in your opinion, what is the most fascinating piece of lore that exists? Like a maybe a specific monster or culture or story? There is Like Dune. what is, what's the
1: best? There is Dune. Therese Dune is um, the H.P. Lovecraft side of, um, there's, a, there's a God in H.P. Lovecraft's mythos, which is a sleeping God. And if he wakes up, the universe winks out of existence because we are his dream. Whoa. Wow. Um, and that's kind of matrixy. like what happens if the Matrix turns off and everybody wakes up and pods, you know? Um, Therese Dune is like that, but if he wakes up, we we just cease to exist. We're not here. And Tharis is the reason why the Abyss exists and the Blood War exists in the D&D multiverse. Um, And it's kind of like there's more and more, the the deeper I delve into the lore of things, there's this hint that there was a universe before the D&D multiverse. Um, and there was some sort of event, perhaps the the madness and trapping of Therosdoon that caused it to split into the different planes of existence, the the and the separation between the astral and the fugue plane and the outer planes and the different parallel dimensions of the Feywild and um, and Shadowfell and that sort of stuff. Of course, it doesn't help that the different editions have got different cosmologies. We've got the the uh, the wheel axis that most people are used to, and then you've got the world tree. Um and I've never really liked those other cosmologies. I think the wheel is just fine. It conforms to Gary Gygax's original idea of um, it being split up into the. It looks like a dice the way he, he illustrated it. It's in the early editions of the Dragon Magazine where he's coming up with these um, this, this this cosmology that he described. And um, he liked the sim, the the third edition. I think really took that and ran with it because there was um, there was. Equal versions of everything. So if you had a gopher, there had to be an elemental gopher of fire. There had to be an elemental gopher of water. You know, there had to be a draconic gopher. There had to be a ghost (laughs) gopher. There had to be something gophery in every category of monster that they had. So there's an aberration gopher. You know, it just kind of got a little bit ridiculous. Fourth edition had the problem that it had uncontrolled power creep because they hadn't really fixed D&D. They'd just... Taking the system and simplified it and turned it into something that people who are new to the game could pick up really quickly or mm-hmm. people who are used to an electronic for- format of game could understand very quickly. So they understood what the role of a, um, a warlord or a, a, a mage or a, a fighter was. You know, mm-hmm. That's the controller. This is your tank. You know, that sort of thing. This is your striker. And that sort of terminology you can tell the fourth edition players because they will still refer to that because it's so much easier to enter the game in those terms. So fourth edition really had... A lot going for it i had the privilege of introducing some players who had never played DD before this is some friends of mine who um, who i was working at a casino with and uh they picked up fourth edition and played it with no prejudice about what came before so they they understood fourth edition on its own merits and they didn't bring any preconceived ideas of how the game system yeah so don't tell me about fourth edition what you think about fourth edition unless you've played it from that perspective you don't know. Right. How good Fourth edition was. <laughs> right. Yeah, it really was good, but it had fundamental flaws that they've fixed in fifth edition. Fixed fifth, fifth edition. The the beauty of fifth edition, if you ask me, and I, I recognize this from the very start, is the bounded accuracy system yep. where they've related, they've stripped it back, and said, okay, do we really need encumbrance? Do we really need alignment restrictions? Mm. Do we really need to to worry about? you know, travel times and and this sort of thing. And and there's a lot of stuff that was legacied in to the rule system that didn't really need to be there. Sacred it cows. Man. Sacred cows. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it may be simplified, but what have you actually simplified? You've just you've just taken off a lot of vestigial crap that didn't need to be there, really. Right. It was just thrown in because it had always been there. Everybody made the assumption. And one of the things that really fixed fifth edition and made the world make sense. Here's the problem. In 4th edition and through 3rd edition, uh, when you're a 20th level character, how important are kobolds to you? Hmm. Not at all. Not at all. Because they don't even register uh, as a threat. They can't possibly hurt you. You're walking around as an impregnable tank. You're basically a god.
3: Hmm. Uh,
1: And so in the world, in the gameplay, kobolds suddenly disappear from the world. And likewise a first or second level character walking around there's no dragons right there's no beholders they don't exist until you're ready for them mm. and mm. that doesn't make any kind of logical sense from a world building point of view right. fifth edition fixes this because it strips everything back down to the statistics of your character so those those base statistics of your character and the limited um progression of them so you can only be if you're a humanoid you can only you cap out at 20 and those those stats aren't going to go anywhere near 30 unless it's a extremely powerful creature mm. so by limiting it to that sort of subset all of a sudden if you do the math and particularly I think it's uh, the rules for mob combat and the the monster uh the dungeon master mm-hmm. yeah. yeah fantastic so you can work out how long it would take a squadron of town guards to kill a a red dragon, an adult red dragon, which is raiding and attacking that town. Right, ten rounds it takes them ten rounds. Not bad. So here you have a bunch of uh, rubes with breastplates and a and a pointy stick. Perhaps one veteran amongst them, and they managed to take out one of the top predators, the apex predators of the D and D world. And that's in why right. that's in a minute. Yeah, oh, ten minutes, 10, ten rounds. Ten, yeah, ten well, yeah, rounds within a minute, six seconds around. Even less if they happen to have like a baluster or something like that or a wizard amongst them. Like pretty decently quick. Yeah. So the dragon is going to think twice about attacking your typical Hamlet. Mm. You know, they may attack um, an outlying community or something like that. But the thing with humans is they band together in groups and groups in fifth edition will whittle you down real quick. Oh, yeah. A bunch of 50 kobolds against a level 20 character. That level 20 character is dead meat. They cannot withstand that amount of incoming attacks each round. It's just basic mathematics. And because that bounded accuracy means that nobody is unhittable. So it's very easy to get hit in, in fifth edition. You can't just, fend off everything it's very very restrictive on how much you can be resistant to it's extremely resistant to any concept of being immune to anything Mm -hmm. so that's what i like about it the one major gripe i have about um, with fifth edition, okay two major gripes i have with fifth edition (laughs) one psionics two creatures that should have magical ability magical spell ability who just don't like why don't devils have magical training why don't they have class levels and wizard you know mm. this bothers me because it's very much supported in the lore and it's just not there on the pages interesting so, yeah i find myself constantly having to inform people that yep yeah, baylors can cast spells mm. not just spell like abilities mm. right do you think that's intentional or no or an oversight uh i th- i don't know it seems it seems it must be intentional because it's pervasive um, yeah. there must be some conscious decision to limit that or not include it or make it an optional thing. Not, you know, mm. but I don't know. It just seems like they dropped the ball there.
2: Um, that is one place where I found the monsters to be, because I, I, there's a lot of things about fourth ed I love as well. And and mm. monsters were one of them because I felt like monsters could typically do a lot of interesting things. I would say a lot of the monster manual in fifth edition seems to be limited to hit like, you know, attacking armor class. I mean, I don't know how yeah. you feel about that, but
1: yeah, there's not enough examination of tactics, environment, um, the environment as part of the encounter, like it should be treated as a creature. Like your environment mm. is, is very, very important. It makes That's things One of mimic. my favorite like, um,
0: thing. I love yeah, environment a moving, interaction,
1: a movement, um, a round by round progression, a time limit, something which is going to happen unless you get yeah. there and you're impeded by monsters, which you're fighting those sort of things, add to the tension so it's not just a slash 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 it's a oh i've got to take a couple of hits and i've got to get there i've got to skip making a couple of attacks on this thing it's going to extend the combat which gives them enough time to go and do this and rescue and free that other creature which i'm going to have to fight but i have to rescue those hostages before they drown you know and yeah because And that's that's the whole thing. You need to build up your adventure so that all of those things are going off at once. It's never just a straight up fight. Mm. It's always complicated by something, and that's really the key. You can you can fight an orc a hundred times in a hundred different ways if the environment is a factor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little bit of oversimplification in that they've got uh, as many monsters as they could fit in their monster manual, but I think maybe they could have added a few more pages of information about why those monsters are there and what those monsters do. I've really, Um, and the history. I've really enjoyed
0: um, uh, Keith Amon's, uh, the monsters know what they're doing. Um, Mm. I'm sure you're aware of it, but I, I thought that very much. Yeah. Yeah. I refer to those on on a regular. He did such a good job of giving literally the entire Monster Manual, like uh, the amount of work that went into it is gobsmackingly huge. Um, but the depth that he went to to make this book and uh, the amount of thought that's there, and I I feel like he covers uh, or kind of fills in the gap that you're referring to as kind of missing mm. in the, actual monster manual where he um you know really looks at the behavior of these creatures and um and hits on those tactics and behaviors that uh you don't really you may not get as much of from the monster manual i thought that was really
1: great yeah i'll I'll be the uh the, the guy in the library who's like you know Uh, pulling up a page of a book on an overhead projector and talking about you know this is this is keats and he wrote poems about this and and that theme carries on through to tennyson and and shakespeare Ah. and and uh the monster knows what they're doing is in the locker room he's got a blackboard up he's doing the play-by-play he's drawing the lines with the circles he's saying okay the quarterback comes around here yeah (laughs) this is this is how it runs so that's yeah, it's so have, good. That aspect of monster management is very, very necessary. It's not something that I'm particularly strong on. Me either. I'll put a little bit in the, in here and there, but yeah, he's definitely right up there. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So we've talked about a little bit of the the lore differences going from fourth edition to fifth edition, and and, and from third and even earlier. Um, let's let's say that you know uh, wizards of the coast they they uh, find your channel and they go, "Wow, this guy really knows what's up." Uh, maybe they already have right, and then they they call you up and they say, where do we take the lore mm. for, si- for six? What, what What's I, your I response? I got put in that
1: very uncomfortable position once. Um, so I got approached by uh, took Games who uh, were in the process of producing the Dark Alliance game, um, which yeah. um, mm. at the time it was called Companions of the Hall and it, it features you playing. Um, it's very much a, a hack and slash sort of game. It's a lot prettier than people um, may know. Um, I saw some tests, um, real yeah. play footage of it um, in action and it looks great. They put out this trailer for it, which was very much sort of action camera. Yeah. It doesn't really give a good impression of what the game is like. Not a good trailer. It's not really like, yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I think we'll all acknowledge it. It's it's a bit, they kind of a bit rough. spat the dummy on that one. Um, but I've, if the if you look at the very end of that trailer where the companions are sort of running up and there's a scene where they're looking over and there's a dragon flying over, that's actually what the game looks like in person. Mm. And I was brought in as a law consultant so they wanted to know um, what the citadels on the nether-east flying, um, flying cities looked like. Um, they look Turkish, by the way. Um, and <laughs> they wanted to know what the difference between the, the different barbarians were of the north. Like, I, I said, okay, well, the, the, the regular barbarian culture has been around 3,000 years before the Uzgard um, the barbarians. So the Uzgard are basically a cult of personality that followed this northern raider who got shipwrecked and decided to stay and became a demigod. But well, what about like, this? Uh huh. You're the. You're okay. Tick. You're the guy. The first thing I pointed <laughs> out was the tears of saloon. I say, okay, if you've got a moon in the sky, it's got to have these dots of light trailing behind it. They're like, okay, this is exactly the information we needed to know because they didn't have <laughs> that, you know. So, I it's like if if you're standing on the on the world of Toril and you look up in the sky, that's what the moon looks like. I would know instantly. I'm on Toril by looking up and going, ah, okay. Tears of Saloon, I'm on Toro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. That realization and hits you. little things like uh, what do fairy lights actually look like? What is the um, various bits and pieces of the game, which I, I will not reveal, thanks to NDA. Mm. But it focuses on sure. the uh, specific time period and a specific book, which involves a certain crystal shard. I can say that. Sure. Um, ah. And you <laughs> are is. playing Drist, you are playing Bruno Battlehammer, you are playing Caterbury, and you are playing um, Wolfgar. Right on. Yes. And the way they handled Wolfgar's magical weapon is awesome. I, I quite like it. And my role for creative writing was they gave me the scene, which is this giant skeleton on the side of a mountain with a sword pin through it of gigantic size and said, what is this? Uh, just tell us what this is. And I said, well, um, well, it could be this and it could be that. And I was relating it back to the to law that I was searching through wikis and mm. stuff, you know. And I said, well, it's okay. You can come up with some sort of theories. And also um, the theory about what uh, Kelvin's Khan in Icewind Dale is. And I, I got to invent that, what, what wow. Kelvin's Khan actually is uh, and what's underneath it uh, or inside it, I should say. So, and that got... T- read by and ticked and signed off by mike mills and i got to uh. talk I, I came up with these tablets which was um written by a uh a stone giant who was a kind of a sage of the stone giants who was traveling around on the surface world and the stone giants of course believe that everything on the surface world is a dream um and that the only reality is underground which is interesting. Whoa! Kind of like an Aboriginal dream time sort of thing. That's cool. And she was writing about the the history of the surface world, like it's a legend or a, um, a mythology. And I got to write those tablets and stuff. So it, g- it gave me the opportunity to insert, you know, thirty thousand years of history of the the far north. So no orc gates, and so no big thing. deal. <laughs> yeah, it was nerve wracking eh. and kind of oh, I was out I'm of my comfort sure, zone, Oh, <laughs> I would have, I would have <laughs> been freaking out. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, so I don't know how much of that will be in the actual game. There was a lead writer. I was just like secondary and feeding stuff to the lead writer, and he could take it or leave it. So, you know, I was just getting paid as a consultant, so I was fine with that. I, was, I took on a bit of creative writing, but it really wasn't my forte. Sure. I was there to provide, you know, accurate information. I was a bit dis- bitterly disappointed about some of the budget restrictions they had, so they couldn't put like yetis and crag cats in there. Wow. But, you know, uh, they, they've got uh, Verbeeg and stuff, so that's all good. Oh, yeah. that's cool. I yeah. remember them from uh, Icewind Dale. Also, I got access to uh, the TMAT server at Wizard of the Coast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they gave wow. a researcher access to their server, the fools. No, so I got, <laughs> I got to see um, some of the stuff they're working on, which is really cool. That's but, awesome. Uh, it's, all awesome. it's all out of date now. It's like a few years ago. But I've been anxiously oh, waiting for um, Dark Alliance to come out this year um, and and see how it looks. And I think people will be pleasantly surprised. And, you know. Little feather in my cap. I've done some writing for the industry before with Palladium Games. I had an article written in the um published in the Rifter on the Blade Mage back in the back in the day. That was my first bit of actual industry work, so to speak. But I have done some um paid blogging, and um, that was my my one and only little bit of secondary. I guess because Took Games has been bought by Wizards of the Coast now, I can say that I actually worked for Wizards of the Coast, <laughs> 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 but <kinda>. <laughs> kind <laughs> of so right, actively. there you yeah. go but I, like um, that. I, I am very much an independent voice and I, I, I don't want to be employed by Wizards of the Coast. I'll say that on record. I I That's don't true. actually want to work for them. Um, I'm quite happy in my role because I, I have that freedom to say whatever I want. You know, um, I don't, I work for myself. I don't work for anybody. There else. you go.
2: Well, speaking of you working for yourself, you know, uh, cause we're, we're coming into the end here, you know, where can people find you? Where's what? Tell us about your channel and, uh, and direct the audience.
1: Um, so don't get confused and and go searching for the Mighty Glue Stick. That's just the name of my channel because I started out as a crafting channel on YouTube. Um, I, I was associated with DM Scotty and DM Gareth um, and the crafting scene where we use recycled materials to make dungeon terrain like cardboard and um, toilet rolls, things like that. And one day I was making a monster, a, a roper actually out of um, a toilet roll and some twine. And I was talking about the Roper while I was making it. And uh, my friend Gareth said, why don't you make videos about monster lore and tell us about the monster while you're crafting it. And eventually the crafting fell by the wayside and I became a a lore channel. And now you can find me on uh, YouTube, uploading twice a week with a live stream every weekend. And my name is AJ Pickett. Very good.
2: And it's a fantastic channel. Um, It's a great show. Uh, if I know I'm going to be using certain monsters, I will often check out the lore beforehand, especially if AJ is going to be in the game. Then I should know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, actually pushes glasses up nose. I know. Like, I, I feel so silly when, when you ask me for a knowledge check. I'm like,
1: OK, time to get
2: disappointed. <laughs> oh, man.
1: I, 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 okay, if your if your player rolls a 20 on the knowledge check, just load up my video and play it for them. I just play for in I think one time during a session I,
2: I was literally like, take it away, AJ. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was great. I, I and then you and then you told him and I was like, fascinating. <laughs> That's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. I I do wish, AJ, that you were in our uh our goblin game. Cause uh I I they've told me that you've uh, got quite a history with with the old goblins and uh you probably mm. would have lost your mind but uh you you might you no know, spike was
2: in that game too and and it was a lot of demented
1: fun <laughs> <laughs> so fun. well ne- never never make the assumption that just because i'm a, a buff of the law i'm beholden to it oh like i i will go off the beaten track the moment the game starts we went <laughs> way <laughs>
3: off
2: so far off. that's
1: great
0: that's so fun
2: yeah, yep. we had, we had a lot of fun and, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, we well check out that, and uh, check out AJ Pickett. Um, the information is, is, is wonderful there. It's also good inspiration to plan an, your next session. Absolutely. Mm. So and great
1: for putting you to sleep at night too. There you go. It, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty soothing. <laughs> it's pretty Dulcet nice. Tones. Um, smooth sounds of Dungeons and Dragons. The smooth sounds. <laughs>
2: I have. I listened to the video about um, the Raven Queen, uh, and when I was on uh, my walk, I was been, I've been trying to lose weight for the last few months, and and uh, it, it accompanied
0: on me on one of those evenings as well. So I I thought awesome. you were gonna say it made you just fall asleep in the middle of your and, walk, and then like, I fell asleep <laughs> in like the middle a of the road. I know. he just like that would
2: have been a better story.
0: <laughs> I woke up and I was surrounded by cats. I don't know why, <laughs> and they were all. Worshipping me.
2: And I realized, oh, I was on the tabaxi part of it. And (laughs) there it is. For some reason, AJ sounds really uncomfortable right now.
1: (laughs) A couple of reasons why I should be famous. One, I made a 12 minute intro segment to my video on Demogorgon. (laughs) Two, I managed to describe the entire Abyss and Blood War in under two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool.
0: Oh man. Oh man. Well, AJ, Uh, I, I gotta say, I, I've heard a lot about you from, uh, from Adam and from Spike and it was an absolute pleasure to meet you, man. And I, uh, I really hope that we can hang out and maybe even game some in the near future. Um, I really look forward to spending some more time and, um i think that'll be a lot of fun i i thank you for coming on the show uh and i i hope you had a good time <laughs> thank you new friend
1: absolutely yeah, yeah, i had a great time i loved sitting back and talking about D and stuff with anybody yeah um so i'd love to come back too if you guys will have me. oh that not even
0: a question man not even a question about that <laughs> no
2: yeah absolutely um well one thing actually maybe we'll ask you one last thing just real quick um, you know, how do you feel about, okay, let me ask it this way. So the, our, our kind of catchphrase on this show is the secret ingredient is love, right? Cause we think that when it comes to like running a game well or playing in a game, well, it's essentially putting your heart into it, right? Like yeah. showing it as much love as you can. And I don't know if you just have some kind of insight on the role that maybe love or, or motivation plays in, in using lore and running games.
1: I would say that anybody who comes up to me and says, I can't play D&D because I don't have any friends to play it with. You don't start out playing D- D&D with friends. You, fly, stay, you play D&D with strangers who become your friends. Mm. It's, it's one of the best ways to so make true. A, a true judgment of somebody's character is sit down for three hours face-to-face, whether it's over a Zoom call or at the table. Um, and really get to know these these people around you, and uh, you can form the best social uh, groups and the best friendships that you'll have in your entire life. So Dungeons and Dragons, any role playing game, is all about that community and that love. Amen
2: to that, baby. That's nailed it. Perfect. perfect. Yeah, that's awesome and so true. I, I so many of my friends, I wouldn't have met Andrew if, if it hadn't been for this nope. stuff. Um, I yeah, we would have probably passed in the hall, and that have been about it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, And I'm grateful every day know. that it, you, it who's, wasn't. Who's packing, a, 20,
1: <laughs> who's packing a 20? You never know. Who's packing a 20?
0: You never know. Although I totally stereotype
2: my own kind, right? I'm, I'm walking around in the bookstore and I, I see a, a heavy set guy with shorts
1: and, you know, an unkept beard. Yeah. I'm like, that guy would be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. We are such a, uh, like, I don't know heavy metal it was probably the only other hobby i can think of where people accessorize with symbols of their craft it's like we are literally walking around wizards you know we've got like stars and stuff all over it's like there's a there's somewhere on you there's a dohi de- decahedron there's a tattoo of a d20 somewhere on your body <laughs> like
2: i just know it if i look at the back of your car i'm going to see the giveaway bumper sticker yeah. right
0: <laughs> that's right yeah yeah
2: <laughs> oh man okay. all right Well, yeah, again, thank you for coming is wonderful talking to you. And uh, yeah,
0: let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. See you later, guys. All right. We'll see you, dude. Thanks for coming. Thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us. In particular, we want to say thank you to our patrons who supported us over on Patreon. So a big thank you to Spike and Logan. And if you'd like to get your name on the show, just like those two fine gentlemen, Head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and support us at the $5 level, as well as a shout out on the episodes. You'll also be able to vote on different things when we do polls, uh, be able to submit mailbag questions, and you'll get access to our private discord community. If you're feeling very, very inspired and want to game with us, support us at the $100 tier where Adam will run a custom campaign just for you and anyone else who decides to join at that epic level. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you found us. And if this is your first time listening, be sure to download and check out our other episodes. You should be able to find us on most major podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify. If you listen via iTunes, please be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell us what you think. Right Those reviews, we like to read them, and they are a great way to give us feedback, and we will check that out. You can find our website at inspirationpoint.buzzsprout.com, and we are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirationpointpodcast, and on Twitter at IPRPGCast. So, until next time, go read a little bit, check out AJ's channel. Read what he has to say. Listen to what he has to say. Maybe fall asleep to what he has to say. And until (laughs) next time, stay inspired. Bye. 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 Bye.